Welcome back to Weebs and Weights. In my pure Nick fashion, I did it again. One thing was recording, one thing wasn't. Here we are, all right? This is a professional show, everybody. Stop laughing, okay? Here with a friend, Kevin Foley, once again. If you guys haven't noticed already, an absolute specimen of a human being, all right? Ex-military, ex-police officer, entrepreneur extraordinaire, which I have coined him myself. And we game together. Sure we've do. gone, we've had a few year history together. Oh yeah. Now he's a mental health specialist and we are here. And you guys have asked a lot of questions on Instagram through this once we put those stories up. So we're gonna have a lot of those. He'll be back to answer some of those more in depth. But for today, we're gonna have a small interview and answer some of those more easy, more approachable questions ahead of time. And then we'll get him back on for some more stuff. All right. Kev. Yeah. Your story. Well, <clears throat> thanks for having me. This Absolutely. has been great. I mean, love the back and forth, getting to know you. Your program, your industry, you know, everything that you're about and what you're trying to bring to the public and so many people across the world, I think it's just something that absolutely needs to be discussed and, that. and you know, have that, you know, talked about in all spheres, not just professional or personal, but in all our different hobbies and specialties that we like to do on our free time. So easy for me, my, <clears throat> the, the journey has been a long one, but it's always been a deliberate approach to, you know, for me to self self discovery, you know, get get to understand myself a little bit and understand others. But it came when I was in the military. Mm -hmm. I joined before 9/11 happened, so basic training. September 11th, I'm on the rifle qualification course, and you know oh. the twin towers are struck, and all the drill sergeants brought us together, and they were like, "Hey, you know, your life's about to change. You're you're gonna go to war." And at that time, at being 18, you really don't know where you're going to go or what you're going to do. But wearing that uniform, I knew I was going to go and serve my country to the fullest extent. Um, I was stationed in Germany, and then shortly after, we headed over to Iraq for the initial invasion into Baghdad from Kuwait. So things kind of really jumped off, right, when in that first adult phase of your life at 18. You know, you, you get a quick dose of reality, and you got to... <laughs> start to figure things out quickly. And that's a reality a lot of people don't realize I, that's a real one, you know? Yeah, like, for sure. I mean, it was just something that really stuck you. Mm. And you had to really dig into your own emotions, your own feelings, and to understand what other people that you're really close to are feeling as well. And I think that's the one thing that I kind of glossed over, you know, because I was taking my whole family with me. It wasn't right. just me. And a right. lot of times we don't start to understand that in the moment but years later you start to process like all the things that were going on and yeah, yeah, yeah and that's one thing that kept coming up was like wait you know my parents my brother my sisters you know they were feeling all these things too um so it wasn't just me and then after you know you come home from iraq you know i had some difficulties there i was had to do some other <laughs> some other things to get uh, myself right physically and mentally and I found myself, you know, wanting to be a law enforcement officer in Massachusetts. The sacrifice to others and the selfless service was always, you know, a part of who I was growing up and even through the military and afterwards. So being a police officer was my dream. I was a, you know, young kid, always looking at that badge and that uniform and, you know, really respecting that, that profession. So I wanted to do that, leave, you know, the military, the U.S. Army and go do that and in Massachusetts and that was a great job for several years but that's when I really started to unpack what I was about where I was going what I was doing mm -hmm. and where the passion was and it was more about you know knowing the difficulties of, <clears throat> that I've experienced not only in the military but as a police officer too 
There's a lot of stress in that job. There's a lot of things oh, you yeah. don't want to see. There's a lot of places you don't want to go. And you find yourself, that's part of what you do. And you have to you know, talk about that this is just the job. This is what comes with it. And, you know, for me, I wanted to understand why. I want to understand why emotions happen in certain situations and, and knowing, you know, how to make things easier for me was always physical fitness. So when I left policing, that's what I relied on. I opened a couple of gyms and, and, you know, got my master's in physical education and mm-hmm. concentration, strength and conditioning. And I was really applying myself to that sphere because it was something that held me, helped me just stay grounded, stay rooted. Right. right. Um, de-stress, you know, help with my process and emotions and feelings that would come up from, you know, deployments or right. you know, calls as a police officer or things I had to do there. And, you know, that was a staple in just my life and I wanted to bring it to others. So I, I did that. And knowing how much people got out of just, you know, pushing themselves through a workout or getting some tips on nutrition or, you know, tightening up some areas in the physical world and how it can be applied to, you know, just the daily life cycle. Right, right. And and that was really powerful for me. So I wanted to continue that journey and bring mental health and physical health and kind of cross-pollinate them and give that, you know, whole holistic approach to, you know, health. And that's where you find me today is, you know... a mental health clinician, a clinical social worker, trying to make sure that I'm making an impact in the daily life of others. So in a nutshell, very quickly, that's how I got, you know, sitting here. Yeah. All right. So like, like now you kind of got into that a little bit, but like what really drove, so the, the thing that drove those transitions was you sitting there and being like, okay, yeah, it's part of the job, but how is this going to affect Everybody, not even just you, but like, how can you handle these things? Because I mean, I, I have family that's in law enforcement as well, and we've had we do this thing on Wednesdays during the summer called Whiskey Wednesdays. I don't know if I told you about those. Well, like some of my uncles come over, we'll have a cigar, glass of whiskey, and like he's talking to us, and he'll he's I mean he's told stories that like when the school that he works at where, you know, he sees things that, I mean, he sees his his son or his daughter because of what happened, sure. and um, and he he did the same thing. He's like it's just part of the job, you know, and he just kind of pockets it you know and it's like well what does that effect have is that how that kind of really forced you not forced you but like got you to think like there needs to be someone to sure i mean i was a police officer 23 years old and i feel like that's really young at that time especially coming from that transition of combat into civilian policing law enforcement and it's just a jump that's so great and i didn't prepare myself enough and not enough people you know helped me through that process to you know, preparation is key in everything. You know, right. planning for things that are going to come up that you don't really expect, but you have at least some sort of foundation and structure to get that support that you need. So the jump was big, and knowing, I mean, that <clears throat> transition was difficult, but I also saw a lot of other police officers, you know, in the same kind of place I was because usually we're all cut from the same cloth. So a lot of them were veterans, a lot of them were overseas, Iraq, Afghanistan, all those things. And then continue to wear that uniform, carry that gun. And I kind of saw just the impact it had on them and, and the job. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, it was just a little too great, to be quite honest. You know, for me, I took a lot of that stuff home. It was hard for me to process, hard, hard for me to understand a lot of it. And I just knew I could do more. But instead of being behind the handcuffs, maybe let's get in front of them a little bit. You know, mental health is a, a gateway to some sort of some crime at some time at some points in people's lives or, you know, substance use, that sort of thing, or just 
erratic decisions. And I knew that I could do more out of that uniform and into a better, um, better field. And so I chose physical fitness and I got to see so much of an impact on just how people came from the couch to, you know, lifting a barbell or getting on a treadmill or, you know, hitting a rower for a little while and seeing just a couple minutes what it can do for someone's life. And then I really started to understand what else they brought to the gym. You mm-hmm. know, what, how they, you know, it was difficult for them to unpack certain things that were happening in their lives and they, they wanted to do it through fitness. At least, you know, that would help a little bit. I really got to see that inside look on how that was good. Physical fitness and exercise is so good, but there needs to be a little bit more of support in the mental health sphere or side of things that can propel humans into a ne- the next stratosphere. Right, right. So as I kind of uncovered that, it started pushing me into just reading about mental health and reading about you know what people you know need to really influence their daily habits, right? Because that's part of, as a strength coach, you're looking for habits, you're looking for goals, you're looking for routine, whatever can set someone up for success. And then I was like, all right, well, let me try mantras or affirmations included in, you know, my production of, you know, workouts and that sort of thing. And that was huge impact. I mean, people loved how they would have to do some of those other challenges in the mm-hmm. mental health side of things. And I was like, I was hooked. I was like, this is it. You know, I'm going to go become a clinical social worker where I can cross-pollinate that, you know, physical health and mental health, and I can really provide somebody a better experience than I was before. And that's what I do with combat vets and first responders right now. Wow. Okay. So So we've talked about this a lot, and I'm, that's tough because like, I feel like there's more, there's more to unpack there. Oh, yeah. But oh, there's yeah. just so much to that in itself. That hopefully, hopefully, some of that will be kind of sure. come to light later as we go into some of those questions and stuff like that later. But so, so how how is how have your personal experiences with those and now hands on working with you know people that come back from war, first responders, stuff like that? Like how is that how has that shaped the wanting to change the world and why? Because we've talked about this a lot. Like every, when we met at Harvard. Right, we were talking about like, what's the next step? Like, how do we go? What's what do we do? How do we change things? Because even we we saw it in strength and conditioning. Like, that world itself is its own little, just kind of messed up organism in itself that does such great things and provides such good things to a lot of those athletes. That because you go to any college and you're going to look at it, and they're going to be like, okay, make them better people, make them better students and then make them better athletes sure. right and like that's kind of like the the mantra for everybody and it doesn't always kind of come across the right way in all of them but so we've always thought of like what's how do we do that like how did how did how does this experience now with what you're doing how has that changed your approach to it or how does that drive you even more now to want to change the world i guess is the, the well, question I mean, you know I, I really rely on a lot of my experiences because you know that's the first thing i tell any of my clients is where I've been, what I've done, and how it led me to this place, you know, and what maybe this could be and how beneficial it could be for them. You know, especially being a combat veteran and a first responder myself, it's really easy for me to first relate to, you know, these individuals, but then also to guide, support, you know, direct and assist as much as possible in our conversations just to make their day a little bit easier or perspective to change a bit because I can't solve all the problems I can't because I don't have the solutions your life is your own 
but I can be here to help with my own and also some educational knowledge as well. Right. You know, and that's the stuff that really benefits me, but also others to be able to, you know, relate all this information, you know, carve it up in pretty little pieces and then start to build a better puzzle moving forward because we can make sure that the past does not, you know, influence that future unless you want it to. And a lot of these things are choices. And I chose to, you know, that route of self-discovery. And I think not enough people do that because it's very uncomfortable. And I think if you sit in those spaces more and, you know, have that being still and really processing those feelings and not going to work out, not going to, you know, out with your friends or any kind of substances or really like process everything, understand the root of the cause of whatever you're feeling, you know, and then proceed, you know. Biological thought, you know, creates physiological reactions. Right, right. And that's where you got to understand the thoughts produce what you're feeling. So what are you thinking about how we can, you know, really provide a more stable and deliberate approach moving forward when you do, you know, think those thoughts and feel those feelings? How can we just change it a little bit? And I always say feelings aren't final and thoughts become things. And I feel like those two, you know, easy, quick little reminders to yourself snaps you back into place really quickly right right have you found have you found that um that having like having a similar background to something like to your clients that made it easier for them to be able to come to you in a you know has that been a way for them to like kind of okay this is someone that really understands sure i mean you're always looking to decrease the barrier to entry in any of those mental health kind of interventions or therapeutic approaches or just conversations right right you know so you're trying to limit those as much as possible and it's very difficult because mental health is still stigmatized of course we're still seeing people who just feel like that's a weakness but it can easily be a strength especially if you have the power over it or the power just to make a choice and say i want some help or i want some guidance here and there i think that's such a a huge you know factor of just having a better day moving forward Right. You know, we control our actions, thoughts, beliefs, and habits, and, and you really have to provide a better launch point for yourself or a launch pad. Right. So what are some things that you think um, that you think people should look into when they're looking for like a professional to go to? That, that kind of that transitioned into one of the questions yeah, that actually came no, up. So that's a question that I've got a couple of from people. Like, how do you, who, who do I go to? How do I know they're the right person? How, you know? That's the tough part because you... Anyone that ever talks to me, it's through word of mouth. So they say, you know, Kevin does this, Kevin's been here, you know, and that's why he should be, you know, somebody you speak to at least first. Right. Um, And that's helped because you always want to, shared experiences grow a bond, right? Even though I might not have been there and, you know, their deployments or their experiences, but I still know enough about those experiences because I've had similar ones that we can create you know, a therapeutic relationship. Right, right. So for others, just might hit a Google search or, you know, some sort of, you know, search outside of just word of mouth or talking to friends or family. It's, you know, doing your due diligence, finding out where they've been, what they've done prior to where they are now and seeing if anything kind of fits, if there's some relatable pieces where you can connect to because you need that connection everywhere in life, especially with a mental health provider. Right. Right. Okay. 
All right. Well, I hope that I hope that answers that question for some people. I know that's a, that's a tough thing. I mean, we had the same conversation with uh, the physical therapist we had on Jared, sure. and he was like, I mean, luckily there's um, they do have a there's a website now. I forget who it was. It was one of the. Um, Forgive me if you're listening. I forget. I forget who it is. But he set up like a whole network of people that like him and some of the people that he pre-screened. You apply for it, and they have to screen them. And they That's made nice. like a website of a sure. network of people that are like physical therapists that understand being an athlete. Right. You know, because we had the conversation of like going into they go into like the normal like Atletico sometimes or something like that, and it's just like. Hot compress, rub down, get up. Sure. You know, and it's like, if that's the first thing they do, get the hell out of there as fast as possible. Yeah. You know, like, is there any signs like that that might be something to look for? I, you know, I don't want people to overthink, guys. Like, I don't want you guys to overthink that, like, oh, this person is doing this, so it must be that. I feel but... like just start with those relatable pieces. Just like if you were going to work with a strength coach, right? Where have they been? Mm. What have they done? Do I like their program? Do I like their methodology? Like, easy stuff, you know? Yeah. Is their program designed something that I'll do every single day? Um, with, you know, mental health providers, all right, who have they worked with? You know, where do they work now and what do they specialize in? What are they telling, what are they saying on their, uh, little blurb about me mm-hmm. and on their website? You know, what can I really pull out of that that strikes a chord with me? Or do I want to go through a referral? Like, all right, let's talk to my friends, see who they see. Maybe I'll see their person. Right, right. And that really helps too. Okay. All right. Um, so before we get too deep into the mental health stuff, I want to come back to your training sure. a little bit because we talked about how, you know, training was a, was a I don't want to say a coping mechanism in a way, but for a lot of people it is, you know, um, and that's something that you got into and how it, it helped you feel better and stuff like that because was, it was similar for me growing up too. Um, I originally wanted to get in for lacrosse, so I started training and I started losing weight. I started feeling better about myself, more confident, like stuff like that. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about like yes. your training, your training I mean, journey and like what you do now. Mm-hmm. Is it still a priority for you or is it one of those things that kind of is like, it's part of my life that I really, it helps me so I have to do it. It's stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, growing up, I played as many sports as possible in yeah. high school and everything. My dad coached me in all my sports. So I always had to give every single ounce of my effort and energy. So I think that really <laughs> helped me. I understand that. I understand. Yeah, That's I mean, yeah. if your dad's coaching, you know, you got a little, you don't want to put him on the hot seat by being the worst kid on the team. You got to really... Because if you're on the field, you know, there might be something happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you always remind me, like, you can't play if you're not good enough. Oh, yeah, you know? I got benched. I can't tell you how many times my old man. <laughs> Which yeah, is great. Yeah. Which helped me. But it really made me care about, you know, running sprints and, like, really embracing the journey of that and, like, trying to get better. Even though I was kind of small, a little bit of a late bloomer until I got in the military. And so I had to work out harder than everybody else. You know, I couldn't lift weights, but I wanted to. Yeah. You know, so my weight wasn't as heavy as, you know, the other guys. So I really thought of that as I was going through because I thought it was cool. Like lift a ton of weight, you know, move some, you know, tires, you know, push some sleds. It was yeah. cool to me, you know, but I wanted to throw that weight on. And I think in the military, I really, you know, grew, put on some weight, put on some muscle, and I was, you know, doing the thing. Yeah, the and thing. That, and that doing really helped thing. me because in the military, if you're a PT stud, you get more opportunities. It's just right. a fact of life. So yeah. luckily, I was able to be really fit uh, and got promoted really quickly, probably because a part of that was physical fitness. And it just kind of propelled me on that journey of loving getting out, running, you know, running sprints, running hills, doing push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, all the, you know, main body weight movements that we just 
ingrained in us in the military and then right. she carried over and that was whenever I needed to that's what I did you know was do something physical because it was it was hard you know and I wanted to make sure I could continue to push that envelope because that just increased I feel like my resilience to other things in life and you know I always like hold true to all the things I experienced was you know provide increasing that resiliency right. within us to deal with more right. and not to get affected and that was why I just continued that path. I wanted to give others that piece that I knew that was so important to me. And then I just kept evolving. And look at you now. I know. Literally gorilla of a man. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Not, <laughs> not that, but even to this day, I try to carve out an hour or two every day to make sure that I get it. Um, for my mindset, for an accomplishment, for a goal of the day, you know, I just try to live 24 hours at a time, and that's part of my 24 hours. Right. So, okay, well, when I was talking about like carving out time, right? So, what's some simple stuff that people can do that you could suggest as a mental health professional for them on a daily basis? I know it's probably probably different depending on I don't know if it's like a personality type thing or like how people are wired in a specific way. Like, yeah, well, I mean, this is where I struggle with the most is because everyone wants to create routines and structures and goal in their daily life, but they haven't done it internally yet. Okay. So that's where I would start anybody. It's like, all right, so internally, what have we discovered about ourselves? You know, what works, what doesn't do I want to sleep in in the morning? Do I want to go to bed late or early? How, whatever. That's the stuff that they want to gauge. Do I want to eat? What do I want to eat? Like really knowing all the ins and outs about just what they want and what they don't want. Cause you're always going to know what you don't want. It's difficult to know what you really want. Right. And that's the question I always give my clients. It's like, all right, just what do you want in your daily life? What's your perfect day look like? Give it to me in detail. If you can't, you got to do some work on that. Because I know where I, when I want to wake up, what I want to eat, all these things. But then I can now, just for self, now look at the external pieces of my day. You know, where am I working? What am I doing? How am I giving my energy and effort to others? Right, right. In this part of life. Before... I got there, I couldn't have a routine with myself. I couldn't, you know, have that discipline and have my care of just what I want. Right. And then really trash all the things I don't want in my day. Then I can start to really apply a routine and structure of, all right, let's make sure my phone's off at 9 p.m. every night. It turns back on at 7 or whenever because that's really healthy for anybody that's trying to get some good sleep. You can't have your phone around. Um, what am I eating in the morning? What am I eating? All that stuff can then be applied. So I really push anybody that's listening to just do some foundational pieces. What's your mission for the day? If you want to create a mission statement, I always tell my clients, make sure there's a mission statement because there are always going to be goals. But when you are mission oriented, those goals will always support that mission. And it's so much easier to really, you know, get in on, um, you want a vision for your days, for your years, for your months, Really be detailed about that stuff. Right. Don't just kind of gloss over and say, you know, I, I want to be here. But you got to be obsessed with wanting to be there. And not obsessed in a negative way, but like really have that obsession to, if you want that job, you better be, you know, cut, like really creating a magnificent, detailed resume with a cover letter. And don't just try to finish it. Do it well. You know, my dad always said, if you think you've done enough, do a little more. Yeah, And that's the stuff that really gets you over that hump of not wanting to do something. Um, so that 
applying yourself to those things, finding where that passion, that direction, what gets you out of bed. Do you need an alarm clock or are you just ready to, you know, get those feet on the floor and, and start running? Right, right. But it starts with in, the internal stuff, you know, your guts. What do you want? As simple as that. What do you want? And then we can take, you know, what you want and make sure that your goals and objectives and, and that mission statement kind of jive together. Right, right. So it's kind of, you're basically eliminating the things that you can't control that would cause unknowns for no reason. Like just for some reason, like, oh, you wake up, the breakfast thing, just to make it simple, right? Yeah. Like I have, I literally eat Kodiak cakes every single morning. So I don't need to think about it. I can literally be asleep, wake up and go do it. And I don't have to think about that. But like Ooh. if I wake up and I see Kodiak cakes and I see bacon and eggs, stuff like that, and I have to sit there like and think, you're just saying eliminate the things that you can't control. But the best part of. about that is what are those Kodiak cakes? Those are protein, right? So that's a great protein source right in the morning. But that's supporting what your mission is. Right. You know, your fitness. You know, what you do for a living. Your career, your professional goals. Right, right, so right. So you see how those things, you already know, that's where I want to be. So it's an easy want. Right. Because that's where, that's where Kodiak cakes started in my exactly. diet. Was, okay, I need something that's healthier than whatever, but it's an easier way to get right. X, X protein, Y, and Z for my diet. Limit yeah. your carbs. Because you know? it fit the RP thing like that. Sure. Didn't even have to bat an eye at it. It was just like X, go, done, yeah. call it. You know, and that's why I think back to the RP thing too. Like that app and stuff like that. It has a built-in structure for people. So that makes that makes sense. I feel like I'm getting a session right now. This is oh, you, know, you know a little mix of both. You it's know, all about looking in, right? Yeah, oh, Making... we're working on that. <laughs> we're working on that. Um, so your motivation. You know, when it comes to training, when it comes to, you know, making your company, when it comes to all the other stuff that you've done, you know, like where, obviously they, 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 they differ in their bases and like what they are probably, but the same, they all kind of have the same, you know. And it's funny that you just so, talk about that because we, as we talk about internal things, you know, intrinsic motivation will always supersede extrinsic motivation. A lot of people are looking outside and seeing, all right, what are people doing? What are the trends? You know, what's on Instagram or social media channels? Without saying, you know, what, what do I really care about? Yeah, you know, or need, you know? Yeah, yeah. where does my motivation at baseline, where is it? You know, what am I, how am I feeling in the morning? Am I cranky? Am I tired? Or am I, you know, all those things. You got to make that self-assessment. You got to take that just temperature check of yourself right when you wake up. Because then you can find those baselines of just where you are normal. Right. And where you want to be. And if it's in these depressed moods or in their, you know, happy moods, or if it's kind of up and down some days, it's better to, you know, sit down with those and figure them out. And with, you know, the motivation piece is always going to be where you're going. What direction? How fast do you want to get there? What are you doing? What are the steps? Because that's going to increase your motivation. So for me, school has always been a huge part. Education, self-learner. I'm going to be a lifelong student forever because mm -hmm. I want to know more. Right. And I always want to know more because it's going to help others. So my motivation is always for me to be better for others. But it starts with me. It can't just be, you know, for others. Altruism is great, but it, it's not fully general and pure because it starts within you. Um, so I know if I put these pieces together, more people than not will come see me who are combat vets and first responders right, because it right. just isn't out there. It just isn't. And we can all go back to that old adage of, of you know, if not me, then who? And I feel like as I'm putting these pieces together, it just makes more sense and more sense. So it makes me drive even harder. But through the times where I wasn't as motivated as I am now, it was because of I always made sure I was truthful with myself and I made sure that others knew my truth. 
and that kind of helped me circumvent some of the issues and you know stop gaps or obstacles as I went through military or law enforcement or I had those hard times you know as a gym owner or you know as an athlete trying right. to figure out you know where's my place right right so I always made sure that I was asking enough questions to continue that motivation of you know baseline of getting out of bed and making sure that my 24 hours are the best I can give myself because I owe myself at least that right and then we can go from there so passion direction guidance you know luckily I have such an incredible support network of friends and family that would always be you know there for me to you know throw throw some things across the board and see what they thought about whatever I was going through or the questions that I had that I needed a change of perspective right or, right you know increase better thought or new thought you know, and luckily I have an incredible brother who was really there for me through those times that we just kept, you know, at times, you know, banging our heads against the wall, but we would always come up with a better understanding of each other and where we both wanted to go. And right. Whoever needed it at that time. So having the support network is so crucial. Um, if you don't have one, you know, put some effort in that. So how, well, so that's a, that's a great transition to this whole thing. How do you, how do you build a support network because actually one of the questions we got was and this could probably tie all together sure. but how do you move on from a group of friends when they're and they wrote positive or negatively affecting you like your health daily you sure. know so and i think that's a very, that's a really powerful question i think there's a lot there that can be unpacked but you know how do you go from one if you want to call it a support base that wasn't doing that for you and moving on to another, how do you build a better support base? How do you do stuff like that? You know, uh, I mean, you are the average of the five closest people you spend the most time with. Right. So right there, you know where you are because yeah. you can see the people and, and see how you feel about them. And all right, are they limiting me or are they increasing my potential or am I the limiting factor with my friends? And a lot of that stuff, you know, has that needs that introspection, like they take the look, take a look in the mirror, kind of thing, and knowing, you know, again going back to your mission statement or your foundational pieces and right. your your fundamentals of who you are. Does does all this make sense with the relationships that I am that I'm that I'm cultivating, uh, and what what do, what's like a real relationship with someone else look like to me? What do I want? What are my values? Do I want respect, loyalty, integrity, you know, a leader or a good person, kindness, all those things? Do my values match up with theirs? You know, and then understanding, all right, they have a couple values that I want in my life, so maybe I can bring this person into the fold and really get a better understanding of me and them and, you know, continue that support. But also looking back over your childhood and your life and seeing the relationship you've had in the past. And... What are the things you've learned from them? What are the things you, you know, don't like? And what, what do you do like? Right. What do you want to keep in the relationships that you have now? And what do you want to get rid of? And I feel like those questions, because we hate to ask questions to ourselves, because sometimes we don't want to hear the answer. Yeah. That's fair. No, I, I fair. understand that. We yeah. run from it, right? We run from a lot of the negative aspects of our lives. We'd rather just not address it when it takes, you know, probably a couple of minutes to address something instead of a couple of years of not addressing it. And that's the stuff that we get stuck on. So I would say ask the questions. Maybe have a sit down with your friends or family, whoever you're having difficulties or having, you know, incredible breakthroughs with. Like, what do we like about this relationship? What do we don't like? Do you, should you be in my life? Should you not? But I mean, that's the diff 
the hardest, probably that's the hardest conversation you'll ever have with anyone, even if it's a positive one, because it's kind of weird. It's out of your comfort zone. Right. You're feeling very vulnerable. You know, it's maybe a little embarrassed because you want to have that conversation, but I'm sure they do too. And once you break through that ice, the stuff that can be, you know, become of it is far greater than what will be lost by it. Right, right. Now, is there, because I can already hear the comments and the people being like, well, isn't there a middle ground? Is there? No. It's either positive or negative. You know, it's a yes or a no. There's no maybe. There's there's no middle ground. You want to make sure that you're cultivating positive experiences, positive relationships. Everything should be kind of geared in that direction. Right. Even if they're negative, they can still become positive. But it takes work. It takes effort. Right. Do you care about this person? How much? How little? You know, how much does it drain your own energy? And where? Going back to your foundations. All that stuff is going to tie in there. And if your foundations aren't strong, then you're going to weaken and crumble. And then those relationships you should have got rid of years ago are still here. Right. And now where are you? Probably the same place. still pounding you down, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, to get where you want to go, you got to sacrifice where you are. And that's the tough part. I mean, as simple as that. Yeah. Sacrifice where you are now to where you want to go. And you'll it's a get lot. it every single time. Man. Yeah, it's heavy. I like I forgot we were recording for a second. That was like a personal conversation for a quick quick snip there. Yeah. I mean, I say you know? it to myself all the time yeah. when I struggle with taking that leap. But right. then I remember, you know, why I'm here. And it's right. only for good. Just like every single person listening. It's only for good. We're only here to be so good and most of the time it's our own self-limiting beliefs that just kind of pull us back a little bit we have that ambivalence we're like i want to go but i'm getting pulled back but what's pulling you back it's most likely yourself and then that's when you're like shit let's go let's get there and so this kind of ties the two of those conversations together with the goal setting and and like the, the intrinsic motivation stuff like that for I mean some of the younger guys out there, for everybody really, you know, if they if they have an idea of what they want to create or what they want to do or who they want to be, whether it's just to keep it kind of on brand here, whether it's to be a streamer, whether it's to be a YouTuber, whether it's to be a uh, elite athlete, you know, stuff like that, um, and they don't really know how to set that initial goal. They 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 have this idea, but everything's kind of I know where I want to be, I know where I am. What's step number one? How do you how do you start? For some of these people, oh. how do you kind of get that foot, like, you know, test the water, put your toe in there, you know? I love this question because it just came up recently with one of my clients. And and I've always done this, so I try to tell others, too. Like, I've always, I always have ideas. I really want to do more than just whatever I'm doing. I just always want more. So I started writing this, writing in this notebook. So I'll get a notebook when I have this idea, and I'll start with the first page, the first day, or all the thoughts and whatever I'm going through with this idea or this approach I want to take Mm -hmm. and it might even be a word or a sentence or whatever it is next day try it again you know and see how that continues to expand and increase and my ideas get better or you know I start answering more questions or start solving some problems because I want to always want to take a problem and then find a solution so you know combat vets and first responders have nowhere to go that was my question where can I take them and then I'd be like all right so why am I the guy? Wrote those things down. Where do I want to be? You know, where do I want to be for myself and then be for others? So each page was a new thought, new idea pertaining to this question. 
and then it just continued to expand. So most of the things that I've done is just having that conversation with myself before I have it with anybody else. And then taking that notebook and going to the people I care about the most and being like, does this make sense? This is what I've kind of done on my own. Because you got to show the work or no one's ever going to believe in you. Right, right. you got to show the work. You have to be, have that due diligence of doing the research, the strategizing, understanding the market or wherever the field you're in, and then going from there. Having those you know, pieces to the puzzle start with you. And then make sure that you really, really love and have this passion for the direction you want to take it. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, if it doesn't get you up in the morning with an alarm clock, you're not going to do it. Let that sink in, people. Let that sink in. All right. So, I mean, we've already, we're already in the, the mental health thing. I got some. You can tell me if these statistics are correct, because you know sometimes the interwebs decide to lie to you. Stats are stats. You know, um, one in five adults will deal with a mental health condition at some point, because mental health doesn't always mean like you have something that is a lingering thing. It could be a short-term thing that can you can get over and get help for. Or I would like say that it was too, higher. Right? You should say it's higher. Absolutely. We're all dealing with something. You know, people who want to talk about it, that's different. You want to sit with it. But through the years, you know, having some sort of traumatic experience, some sort of, you know, depressive state, you know, I feel like it's more common than anyone would really realize or admit. So probably everybody at some point. At some point, they deal with some sort of mental health condition illness setback it's there uh you want to address it or not that's one thing a lot of people will say no rather than yes right and go to a point in their life where they're just like i've been through enough i can whatever comes my way i can handle it but that in itself is just having you know that snowball effect it just keeps getting bigger and bigger right and even if you think it's small at one time it can grow into something bigger and you know, PTSD is a thing that is in my life. I was diagnosed uh, years and years ago, and I continue to deal with it. I don't know if it's, you know, part of my uh, my daily life now. Sometimes I try to check on it and see, you know, what's happening. Is this something from there or whatever? Whatever depression, anxiety, um, you know, mimics something like a, the PTSD. Right. So it's it's really just processing your thoughts, understanding that things can increase over time and become something bigger than you know you initially thought it would become and that's okay too that's still part of you know evolution of getting older or becoming someone else growth development all those things so it's not a negative but people perceive it to be and i i always caution people you know take a step back take a breath right mental health illness or condition is not negative whatsoever and I think that's a very powerful statement that I hope so. needs to be heard, I think, because I don't think I've ever heard that before. To be 100% honest with you, I don't think I've ever heard that from anybody ever. I mean, everybody I work with, they're incredible humans. Just because they have a mental health condition they're trying to work through, that doesn't take away anything of right. their spirit or being or character. And it's sad that you know we've taken these people who might experience something and placed them in another vertical and said, you know, they're different or something. Yeah, there's a column on a I mean, sheet. Yeah. I, it blows my mind. I don't know why people don't talk about it more. It's not ne- negative at all. Yeah. I remember <laughs> my dad was telling me a story because we went out to California to visit my uh, cousin at one point. And LA is littered with homeless people. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. And like, 
Boston does like there's some in Boston in the area and stuff like that. It's so you don't you don't see you don't see it too often, right? But yeah. you get out of the state and I and I you know, I challenge people to do this. Like when you go out, like take a look around for you. Like I know you're out, you're doing something, you're traveling, you're you're there to see the sights, but like really look in depth sometimes. Cause there was like one uh overpass and it was like a village of people. And I think my dad at one point sat down with one of the guys and started talking to him about like, hey, like, why are you here? What happened? Like what's sure. going on? And literally the guy's response was, this was the only way for me to be free. Ex, ex-military, I think it was like an old, like a Marine at one point or something like that. And he's like, everyday life made me feel worse. There was so many X, Y, and Zs and people would see me as a, whether the support base for military and stuff like that, it's very, it feels like a seesaw every day, sure. you know, depending on who you talk to and stuff like that. But he was like, this is the only way for me to be free. And like the only way I could make like feel like a human again, and it was a really weird but powerful conversation. And my dad was just like, "I don't know what to say to that." Like, you know, like. So I mean, we always it's talk like a side tangent, but sorry. No, but, it's yeah. I mean not entirely a side tangent, but I mean we're looking at our social identities, right? Well, how do we identify ourselves? Are we a father, mother, brother, sister, a veteran, a nurse, a police officer, a lawyer? You know, what job are you? And how do I see myself? Right, right. You know, gay, straight. Um, it, at some point, you have to understand all the identities that you prescribe to and see yourself as and then understand how others might perceive you too. And not for something where it's influenced by, but at least your understanding of the complexities of societal norms or where you are, where you're living at the time and all these things to really understand where's, where's your place going to be where you are right now. Right. And for some veterans... They come back and they might have some insecurities or guilt or grief or shame. And we have to really unpack those because if you go back to civilian life with those three things, you're not going to last too long. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb as a veteran with now these you know, dealings, maybe, and not wanting you know, that civilian hustle and bustle or that rat race or however you want to you know, speak to this kind of life that we live um, outside of military structure because it's a lot different and a lot isn't done enough to help that transition right so for that veteran it might have been just too much you know too much to come from wherever i mean now it's a little bit different because there's a lot more military support from you know 2001 to now than there was prior to 2001 because of all the global war on terrorism and how it really was in the face of all americans because terrorism is a real threat these days yeah and it can affect any single one of us you know with you know the wars overseas or vietnam world war ii korea you know all it was so far away from us we never really got to feel it until right. those world trade centers were struck and then we all felt it you could not and that changed. you still can if you go there sure. I mean, yeah, and that's something everyone should go see at one point man let me tell you that's i uh, just yeah yeah Sorry, I didn't mean to like no, cut you off again. But that's that's, that's exactly yeah, where we're at, and that's why it's a little bit more close to home because you have rough men standing to do battle in your defense overseas right now against the global war on terrorism, and I think that's just so strong, and people feel it. So there's more of support. Sometimes it's the right support. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes right, it's right. Disney World instead of you know some mental health treatment, and yeah. that's really where I want to come in and provide that difference. And it, and I mean, I talk about combat vets and first responders a lot because that's just where I'm at right now. But I've worked with children and families before. I've, I've worked in a substance use department. I've worked in places where I didn't know enough about it, so I want to make sure I, I was there 
to be in the trenches with those people going through things that I might not have experienced to be able to relate to them down the road or give them a different perspective of why I haven't dealt with those things that they're dealing with. Right. And I found a ton of success, especially in the substance use world, with identifying you know, their mission value and foundations and really understanding themselves and why you know, some of the, the obstacles are limiting lifespan or, or life decisions you know, were present in their lives. Without right. Some of these things were always going to be inconsistent. And substances are an easy end for so many people because they're so available. You know, and you want to run from your feelings most times than sitting with them. It's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. You want to just run. And now it's being able to, stillness is the key, being able to be patient with what you're feeling. Get those things processed, understand the root of what you're dealing with, and increase, you know, that productivity in that kind of direction of like, all right, I need to feel this, I need to go through this, I need to understand why it's there, and then, you know, See how it's going to help you in the future, not how it's going to hurt you. Right. Experience is the key. Yeah. All right. Well, let's transition into to the athlete side of stuff a little sure. bit here. All right. Um, so I actually knew this stat when I saw it, so I was really happy that I saw it. I was like, yes, I got it, right? But it's not a – I don't want to sound like I'm happy about this statistic because it's not. And being in and out of college athletics – you see this and you deal with this, and especially in my last, the last couple that I've been at, there's there there were a couple of my athletes that were you could definitely tell were were dealing with a lot. Um, but a third of all college students experience significant symptoms of depression, anxiety, any other kind of conditions, and roughly a tenth of that seek help. And then going to the professional side of stuff, it goes up. Thirty five percent of elite athletes have that issue, um, and I was blessed to be able to meet and spend time with some elite athletes, especially when I was at Purdue. And I was right there in the trenches with one of them the whole time. Like to the point when they were like, can you come to my sessions? Can you be there for me? Can you just be there to support them? Have someone watching me, stuff like that. And like, without a doubt, I was like, hell yeah. One, it was a learning experience for me because I get to see a sport that I don't get to see very often. And two, it's an elite athlete and somebody that's a good human being, being able to sit there and be like, all right, let me learn from you. Let me see what's going sure. on. Um, but... A lot of the ones you see are like stress, eating disorders, burnout, depression, anxiety, which are all things that all of us at some level, I think we feel in some way, especially for me. I mean, I binge eat all the freaking time, you know what I mean? Especially when I'm stressed out. And I don't know if that comes from a, a younger age of me being extremely overweight. Like I was at 300 pounds at one point. Right. <laughs> 300 pounds. Okay. Um, and luckily, I had a great support base with my family and stuff like that. Unfortunately, being Greek, the support base is like, let me make you some food. And sure. let's eat, you know what I mean? And so I turned into a coping mechanism for me. You know, um, well, what do you have you know, mean, to say to some of these, these athletes that might be, you know, like dealing with some? Because there's so many, like, when it comes to that stuff, like you see, and you see this with the gamers too, right? The stress to perform is very high, especially when it's something, if you're a streamer out there or like a professional gamer or a professional athlete or you're making some kind of ends meet off of that, that pressure you feel because it's like this is what's paying my bills or sometimes you know it could be well, who knows what you know I mean, but you look at college students i mean that's one of the diff most difficult places to be for 17 18 years of your life you had support and now you go off to where it's unsupported so you're in college <coughs> you're trying to figure things out on your own 
and sometimes it just takes a little bit longer that, for some than most, yeah. or for most than some. And that's where you start to have the depression, the anxiety, like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to go to these classes. Some of this stuff doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And then with student athletes, now on top of that, now they have to go perform, you know, whatever sport they're, you know, competing in. And I feel like that's where such a large disconnect goes is because now you just doubled the pressure. You doubled, you know, distress and anxiety. And now yeah. you have to perform in, in two places where you're uncertain of. And how can you really, you know, feel supported in those places? And sometimes it's very difficult. And most colleges don't have that kind of support system set up yet. Your parents or your family, your friends aren't close to you anymore. You're out on your own. You've got to fend for yourself in a lot of ways. And it, a lot of things are coming at you. And it's just, and to be honest, it's normal to feel all the things that they're feeling. Right, yeah. You know, that if you didn't feel those things, if you didn't feel depressed at times or anxious or stressed, you wouldn't be human. So... So luckily, when I was at Purdue, there was, um, they actually hired on, I think, two or three extra sports psychologists when I was there. So they were providing that. Um, and it was interesting that, and this makes no sense to me that I'm thinking of it anyways in my head, but like, you can't really mandate somebody to go and do that, right? Because I mean, at a certain point, it's like, when you're growing up and your your dad tells you to do something, if you say like you don't want to do it and you say no and like this creates this strife and like that can turn into some kind of like resentment towards a family member yeah. or a friend or whatever, right? Sure. Um, do you think that there should be some kind of, especially at that level, like some kind of like, hey, like just try this out, like it's a, or like a pre-screening when they get in or something like that. Oh, Is there no, a way to I think do it that? Should or? be so much more organic. Yeah, I think there should be mental health prof professionals walking around campus and. You know, sport facilities. I don't think you need to it's go like to booths like Charlie Brown just set up no ready booths. to come in. No, people just, just being normal, shaking, walking shaking around, just asking people how they're doing, asking yeah. about their life. Start that engagement, that interaction. You're going to get so much more because it decreases that barrier to entry, right? If I right. have to go upstairs to this fancy building and knock on this door, make an appointment, all that stuff to yeah. this PhD level, you know, professional, I don't think I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'd rather just go hang out in my buddy's dorm. You know, that's, I'm comfortable there. I'm not comfortable going up to the sixth floor of, you know, campus, you know, center and saying, hey, I, I'm feeling depressed. It's just so unheard of and it barely ever happens. So having mental health professionals just being on campus, walking around, talking to individuals, building relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, handing out cards or, you know, what have you, a flyer to say, hey, you want to come talk to me? I'm here. I can meet you at your dorm room. I can meet you on the practice field, doesn't matter. And I feel like you would just increase so many lives and the positivity in the campus and your own university or college will increase exponentially. So it's funny you say that, and I don't know why this is connecting dots now, but I don't know if you guys know this, but when, when you're at the college level, the person you see the most is the strength and conditioning coach. No question. That's the person you see day in, day out, whether it's for warm-ups, whether it's for training, whether it's for rehab stuff whether it's for whatever you see them a lot more than your coaches probably not your no, probably not your teammates because you're a lot of you're living together and stuff like that mm -hmm. but now you're getting in mind like they should just hire one for every team that goes to every practice that trains with them that goes to lifts with them that goes and like not even there to be like 
come see me. Like to be there to be like on the court with you, get a basket, they're getting all amped up, jumping well, up, high fiving, like being part of the team. Yeah, like think about since you're seeing the strength coach so much, the strength coach is no dummy. He gets to see when you're high, when you're low, when something's wrong. He knows right away. You know, well, you end up becoming this without question. You end up doubling as a mental health. Absolutely. And we're not we're not trained for that. Let me tell you right now. You go through like the questions they ask you on, especially the CSCCA test, which is right now like if I recommended doing something, I would recommend finding a school that you can go and be with that can get you in for that test. But the questions they ask you when it comes to nutrition, when it asks you for mental health stuff, what do you do? The answer: send them to someone that does the job. Right. We are not taught. We are not prepared. We are not supposed to do those things. And we're forced into a situation where we see them so often, like you were saying, and we're on the bench with them. We're, we're in practices. We're warming them up. They're coming to us. And they come to you with, your, with these, sometimes to ask for help sure. and stuff like that. And it's a really hard situation to be in because part of you wants to sit there and help them. But then part of you is like, what if I make it worse? What if I don't give good advice? What if... You know, you shouldn't be giving advice. You're supposed to be sending them to somebody else, but sometimes they don't have that outlet or they don't want to. And my biggest fear with some of that was like, I would sit down and listen because that's part of the deal that we have to do anyways when they're there, especially when you're training. I can't sit there and be like, shut up, lift. If you do that, fix your shit. Um, But me telling someone to go to somebody else, I'm not closing that door on this person that came to me for help because if they're coming to me for help, that means they need it or they want it. And like, so for me, to me, like, what's the situation? Like, what do I do there? What do I, what are things that I need to know? And some of the coaches that need to know, because a lot of smaller schools don't have that ability to be like, I mean, look at you look at division three schools and some D2 schools. Some of these kids aren't even there on scholarship. They're there mm-hmm. on, they're there on academic scholarships. So that even adds even more stress because they have to keep certain grades up to keep their scholarship to play their sport. And they don't have mental health clinicians nothing nope. there to help them like it ends up going usually to somebody else whether it's a coach whether it's a strength coach whether it's a friend like to people that are listening that have that situation what do we do yeah so i you mean know? that happens quite a bit there'll be student athletes that go to the strength and conditioning coach or their you know sport coach and say hey i'm having these issues here and usually they get referred out i mean usually those individuals are so good about making sure that they make the right referral to you know that that person beyond themselves right you know, mental health counselor clinician professional whatever you want to call it uh the biggest thing though is making sure that you're building better relationships with your athletes first and foremost getting to know them at a personal level you know seeing how they interact daily with others and you and then you know all like the other complexities of their life, you know, how they fitting in, what are they doing? What are they up to? Are they getting in trouble? Are they staying out late? Uh, are they coming early? All the things that you're just already looking for, but having conversations about them. So they will trust in you more. And once they trust in you more, then when they have difficulties personally, they'll come to you more. And I feel like that's where those strength and conditioning coach and coaches need to be is just being there more and aware more. So they can say, hey, something's not right. It's been a couple of weeks. Let's talk about it. All right, this isn't something I'm going to handle, but let's make sure that we together walk over and see somebody who is more um, capable to handle the situation. But if we're not ha- having those better relationships, those conversations will never increase beyond just, you know, Joey is having a bad day today. Right. 
or a bad day for the last month and you haven't done something yet. And right. now it's like, all right, so you haven't built a good relationship with him where he's comfortable enough to talk to you. And that, and that turns into, unfortunately, and I've seen this a lot of times, that turns into the coaches getting pissed off and that turns into some kind of, some kind of punishment workout mm-hmm. or some kind of whatever. Like there's a, there's a difference between getting the badminton team up at 5 a.m. when they always sleep until one to do a workout and then being tired and not there and being like, you guys weren't focused, so we need to focus on this and this is going to be yeah, a quote-unquote punishment workout. Yeah. But there's a difference between that and somebody coming in and you can see like their eyes are puffed up, they're, they're, they've lost 20 pounds in a week. Right. They've, you know, like seeing these things and being like, this needs to be addressed in a... You yeah, know. I mean, focus can't be forced, right? So if right. you're increasing the stress and anxiety because, you know, they're not with it today, they come out flat or all these things, they don't have, you know, enough energy or effort in some of these sessions, that's when you know the session's doing more harm than good. Right. You could easily just lay down and stretch for a few minutes, talk about something. If things aren't going your way, you can't force them to go your way. It's just going to make things worse. And strength and conditioning coaches, you know them, they got so much energy they mm-hmm. had so much passion and will to just push through any obstacle but sometimes they are the obstacle and just be like identify with that and say some days i push the kids too hard when i can easily just you know have them all sit down roll let's out play stretch frisbee. let's play some you know, play yeah. a game have some fun lower the stress and then you're going to increase performance every single time yeah listen man there, there's a lot of sneaky ways as a strength coach to get work in and have a fucking really good time fun fact medball volleyball is one of them my favorite game great time great time what's that they call the hoover ball i don't remember what do they call it yeah yeah yeah. i just some smart i would be like we're playing volleyball and i'd like pull out of a med ball and set up the 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 the, uh, yeah the boxes or the 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 yeah blast blast especially if you get someone like we used to we did it with baseball God, man, those guys, just because their rotational strength is already so strong from years of turning, those guys can hump. You think you're strong? Wait until a baseball player or a hockey player hums a med ball at you and you think it should move slow. Unprepared. (laughs) Unprepared, (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, my God. But um, so gamers, obviously, weebs and weights, part of our thing is people who like anime, people who love gaming. We obviously love gaming. We've been gaming almost every night for like the past couple months at this point. Yep. Um, a lot of games, remember remember 10 years ago, 15 years ago when they were like games are creating violence and sure. games are associated with negative emotions and anger and stuff like that. Um, not saying that there's not an influence because I think that there's definitely a line of where people use it as a coping mechanism and they can't, use it as like an enjoyment thing, like as a way for them to, cause like you've, there's a lot of people and you can ask a lot of the big streamers out there. A lot of them suffered with social anxiety. A lot of them suffered with, um, just depression, normal anxieties, like stuff like that, that being a streamer and gaming and creating these long-term relationships online did the opposite. It was a positive experience it helped with their social relationships positive emotion feedback stuff like that well <clears throat> i don't even know how to ask this question but you know where i'm going i know with exactly this, where so. you're going and, and the funniest part about me and how i'm gaming now is because of 
a couple of my clients wouldn't talk to me unless I gamed with them. So I'd have to put the headset on and talk to them as we played whatever game they chose. Because otherwise, really, no chance. I didn't know this. I'm sorry. That's so cool, know, though. Just, That's it so gets cool. even better. So I remember going to this. Uh, I was an in-home therapist, and I was going to this house over and over again trying to speak to the kid. And there was no way I could get through to him. I'd sit outside his door and just kind of talk to him about my day. I'd try to get uh, YouTube videos through the door, whatever he could hear, just so he could you know, have some connection with me. But he loved video games. So I was like, all right. I'm going to love video games too. I'm going to make sure that we connect in some other way. At first, it was slow going. We would just be playing a game. He wouldn't talk much. I would try to be funny and pretend, well, at least pretend to be funny and like try to get something out of him. And then all of a sudden, we just broke through that shell and we were playing and he would just talk. He would tell me about everything eventually. And that's how I got to doing what I'm doing now on, on COD with you. It's because so many better conversations happen through that game than I ever experienced on a one-on-one session with anybody. It was organic. It was pure, genuine. I would get to see uh, some frustrations that come out or some happiness within the game, and it was incredible. Seriously. No, I love it. I'm laughing. I'm laughing because whenever we play, like I'm literally like this every game. I mean, yeah. You learn so much about the individual and those highs and lows and what they're feeling and how they feel it. And... You know, sometimes it's verbal. Sometimes it's just like the moans and groans of just playing a game that causes some stress here and there. But it built such a great relationship where I started to use it with others who are more comfortable, you know, putting a headset on um, and having better conversations than me sitting in front of you, you know, trying to, you know, get something going or playing a game or, you know, a board game or cards or asking you questions you don't give a fuck about. And that's okay. It's valid. But at some point, we got to make sure that we break through some element to just understand what you're really going through and how I can help you or I can, and then I can, you know, find a better way. Um, so getting through quicker definitely helped me in those video games, saving grace and so many of my clients, the best. Um, thanks for coming. <laughs> That's awesome. I did not. I know. I saved why did it I never me? know I, that? I didn't tell you because I wanted it to be here. That's fantastic. Oh, it's the greatest thing. You know, I, I've said I've said so many times. So, I've actually reconnected with a long-term friend. On so we met playing World of Warcraft when we were in like junior high. That's awesome. Like vanilla World of Warcraft, the first time it came out, it was clunky. It had glitches, all this stuff. But we somehow met. Like I was, I forget, I was like a paladin or something. What was I? I don't remember. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But I was struggling with this quest, <laughs> and this mage comes over and he's like, "Yo, you you need help?" And I was like, "Please, thank God, somebody showed up, right?" Just every day we started playing games together. Nice. And then something happened. I think I think it was like I got into sports, so I couldn't really play as much. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of disappeared, but we were on each other's friends list. And then he never got back on. I was like, oh, I really hope Sam comes back sure, on one sure. day. And like a couple of months ago, three months ago, Ziffix pops up. I'm That's like, awesome. yo, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> and he's like, bro, the new expansion's coming out. I'm coming back, coming right? Back. But it was like, didn't even skip a beat. And we're all 10 years older now. Yeah. But he's like, when are we getting a beer? When are we meeting up? Nice. Like stuff like that. And I'm like, that. They, like, it's so because back in the day, everyone's like, someone's gonna kidnap your child. It's gonna create them. They're gonna become murderers because of playing friggin' Miami Heat, whatever the hell the game was, yeah. you know. But like, they don't realize like the the positive effect that it has on so many lives. Yeah. God, I love this. Is oh, thank you. You know, not only do you perform better in the presence of others, but you also. 
you know, embrace a better relationship through shared experiences. Yeah. You know, and the more you have them with someone, the closer you get. And it's just, I mean, instinctual, you know, it's something that's just going to happen. You, you can't fight it. Yeah. You know, the, just like playing sports or going to sessions, weightlifting sessions, you're going to get close to the people that you spend the most time with. Right, right, right. Are doing the same, you know, activity or, you know, what have you. Right. And, and I think there's, cause even I struggle with this. I don't know if, if, it, if you've ever noticed this before, but there's, there's times where this doesn't work for me. Sure. And I think that's for everybody, but there's a lot of people that the eye to eye contact, like this is like a very stressful situation. And I think people like to talk. Everyone likes to talk yep. regardless. If you think, if you don't like in my experience, I think everybody I've ever known, even the quietest people, they want to talk, but the quietest people the ones that have really been able to talk to me is online, not face-to-face. I think this is a very intimidating thing, Mm -hmm. especially with somebody that has our builds in some way too. Like we're very, we kind of control a room in a way. And I think that comes from our experiences being coaches, being athletes, stuff like that too, where we show up and it's like, I'm here, say hello. You know what I mean? Like that presence is big and it's intimidating. I feel like, and, but the more experiences that you have in places like that, the better off you'll be, you know, in, the spaces like that when they come in right. in the future and right I mean, right luckily i was able to kind of get that stuff out of me so i can have conversations and i can learn a thing or two about you know the verbal judo and you know having conversations but also you know having better friends relationships being able to have conversations that i don't want to have but you know it's going to benefit everybody in the room and then you see it when it comes into gaming how many friends i've met through that and how you know you build your crew and you know everybody loves when you log on like, yeah it's just like yeah here we go and that's just incredible because i mean you can go to a bar and meet all your friends but are they as excited as if you jump on and log on with your buddies on yeah you know squad on boys yeah, yeah like it's know? it's different because you yeah. know you're not going to get any bullshit you're all going in the same direction nobody has an ulterior motive or agenda where they're trying to deviate everyone's like all right this is the mission this is what we're trying to do let's get on board Right, and that's what I've seen in Call of Duty more so than anywhere else because everyone's trying to achieve one objective, you know, in Warzone. The W. The W. Yeah, and everybody wants it just as much as you do. Yeah. So you get there a lot faster than you would alone. Like you can go, uh, you can go alone, or you can go fast alone, but far together. And that's it's better off to have some good core group of friends or you know a support network, family, whatever. But it takes work. It takes those conversations. It takes. You know that period of growth, and that you gotta allow it. It's not gonna come overnight, but right. when you do water that relationship, it's gonna continue to grow and and, and bear fruit. Right, or a bonsai tree, yeah, or a bonsai tree, which that's what I'm built. <laughs> <laughs> I'm growing right now. Couple of them. Oh man! All right, let's move on to some of these questions. So. I don't remember if this was on the pre oops, I forgot to record button or after, but there was a lot of topics. You guys came through with a lot of stuff. So, and I've, I think I mentioned this again already, but I'm going to do it again anyway, so it doesn't matter. We will have more episodes that we do, maybe some other YouTube videos, stuff like that, where we'll sit down and we'll have a really good discussion on an in-depth discussion on some of these things. But some of the more upfront questions that I think we should answer here or have Kevin answer, not me. I'm just going to sit here and try to prod him a little bit and get the stuff out of him, which I don't really have to. The guy's a silver tongue, if you haven't noticed already. But when you're stuck in depression, how do you get out? And now that's a 
I know that's a, oh. a deep unpacking question as well, but this is something that has been my favorite place to be in a couple of times in my life because you know when I'm feeling depression, I feel like I'm rock bottom. But the only time I'm at rock bottom, or well, the only time in life is when I can see the top is when I'm at rock bottom. Right. That's when I can really visibly see where I want to go. Right, right, right. Because there's no other place to see but up. So that's the time when, for me, it's been the easiest to get out of because it's been the clearest. Clarity has just been there for me. So I can see, all right, so I'm at the bottom of where I want to be, but I can see the top of where I would like to be. So you know, mood, depression, you know, is something that's going to hold people back. Maybe lack of motivation, maybe just like hate looking in the mirror sometimes or hate, you know, taking a few minutes to, for some self-care to make yourself feel better or doing the things that you love or just pretending like there aren't things. And I will always pressure people to, you know, tell me the truth. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do anything anymore. Like, nah, what? even if it's laying in bed, it feels good for most. That's doing something. That's taking an active choice of doing that. So then it's just about building some momentum. And it's really simple. It's doing the stuff that you love, even if it's a minute, two minutes. It's showering a little bit before you want to. It's, you know, eating breakfast a little bit um, more often than you don't. Like just the little tiniest changes in your daily life will increase the momentum of positive growth. And then all of a sudden, you know, same thing when it's negative, you're going to create that snowball effect when you're able to apply some, some good aspects to your life and, and asking questions to yourself, understanding a little bit better. All right, why am I in this depression? Did, right. Uh, I lose my job. Do I not have enough money in my bank account? Am I not working out enough? Did my, you know, significant other just break up with me? You know, those are things that will cause people to feel depressed and feel people to kind of spiral at times. Um, but then knowing that there are no mistakes in life and really embracing that fact that there are no mistakes. These happen for a reason and it, and the only reason I can ever come up to is for me to grow, it's for me to be blessed that this opportunity or of growth is occurring right, right now and, and be present with that. And then that's where, and sure, you're going to tell me, oh, it's easier said than done. But just sit down and sit with it. And then it's done. And then you're really getting to the opportunity of getting over this happened or getting close to getting over it by just sitting with it, making sure that you understand why it's happening. And the why is so important. And when you don't identify the why, the longer it's going to last. So start there. Momentum will come when you start, you know, understanding that reason and then putting an action plan into, you know, making a better solution. So you're kind of trying to find little W's oh, here and there all just to like little W's. let them build up on top of each other to. and let it go. I mean, that's... For me, a lot of times in my life, whether it was in basic training when I was just trying to get to the next meal or when it was, you know, law enforcement when <clears throat> I'm just trying to get through my shift or the next call, I want to be a little bit more kind or courteous, courteous, um, or maybe throw my weight around a little bit more, you know, address some weaknesses in my own approach to certain things. That's always been my little W's. And I try to create them in so much of my daily life. Like I'm just trying to live the next 24 so I make sure that the little stuff are my W's. I'm not looking for the big things because those will come on their own, especially if I'm creating these little wins and getting me through the day, making sure that my energy is nice and positive to others. So when we do have conversations, they're better. And that's when you really identify so many things within yourself. So when you're talking about this depression now, but then soon it'll be gone. 
and you'll never think about it again because you already established this plan, this protocol, this habit, this routine of getting getting it through you so much faster. Right. And I think the speed of it all just comes with understanding and compassion with yourself. So for somebody that is in this in this place of you know negative mental every everything they do is negative everything is this because i mean I've, I've been there and i've I, I mean you know like how do you this is something that you've taught yourself over time to be like okay i'm at the bottom i'm looking up and i know that x is a the first little thing that's going to be a w and that's going to get me up that's the first step the first plank down on the stairs right where i've had moments where like i try to think like that but it still feels like an l to me Right? How do you? How do you get? How do you? What can you tell, give somebody to be like, hey, yeah, the laying in bed sure. that's doing something that makes you feel good. That's a W. Think about that. And then, like you were saying before, right? Like, how do you? How do you get into that mindset of okay, like I know I'm here. I know I'm in this position. I'm feeling this way. How do I get to think of that as a W? I mean, with a little therapeutic approach, it would be externalizing those problems, right? You would not internalize the problems that you're dealing with. You're going to make sure that you, you know push them outward right so now you're establishing that these are external problems they're not internal right that's exactly what they are they're not inside you you're not the problem the problems exist around you and to first identify that is really powerful right. and then you start to control what you're experiencing and you're not letting that experience control you and that's when the w's just start to start to fall because when you're seeing the problem for what it is and not you as the problem you're gonna win you're going to make sure that you, you know, facilitate a better process of moving out of that shadow or cloud or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's, you know, the essence of it all is externalizing that problem, then finding that solution, even if it's small and it will take some time, but being patient with yourself and having some compassion, some real kindness to yourself, knowing that you're not the problem. The problem is just outside of you. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a big... I'm glad you brought that back up because I was I was I was holding on to that thought in the back of my brain, yeah. being like, "That's that's the words right there." Sure. Like, you're not you're not the problem. Not the problem. There is a problem, yeah. but it's not you. Yeah, the problem can always be fixed. As an individual, you don't need any fixing. Nothing's broken. You're not broken. You're not, you know, lesser because this problem exists. We all deal with them. All deal with them in different ways. All, you know, relative. Um, what is difficult for me can be difficult for you or not and some things vice versa right right so just knowing inside that you can get through anything when you externalize those problems and understand that it's not you it's so powerful yeah all right next question tips on returning to a busy routine after a mental breakdown and illness only allows minimum I guess this kind of flows right sure, off of what we just talked about a little bit so yeah I mean when, that's coming from a, an athlete. I know they're an athlete yeah. as well, too. So, Well, when you have a mental breakdown, you got to really understand why. I mean, I'm always going to ask the question, why? Like, where did this come from? Even if you don't know, let's break, let's break it down. Let's go through, you know, you were feeling this at one day, and then the next day you were feeling this. What happened during that day? Let's really break down the whole. And then the last month, and like, what was the tipping point? What sent you over the edge? Uh, make sure... You go through that with extreme detail, fine-tooth comb, understanding, you know, brought you to this point. Because if you haven't yet, just because you feel better the next day because you got a text from someone you love and they got you in a good, a better spirit, if you haven't dealt with it, it's going to come back again. So I would, 
caution you to get back into a like overburdened routine. When I hear a routine, I feel like someone's really trying to chart their entire day out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that will always end in disaster. I feel like a routine should be, you know, for yourself, what do I love doing? That's that's your routine. Just do those do that every day. Don't right. do the things that you don't love because those things aren't going to last. Just do the things that you love every day. And if they change, that continues to be your routine. The routine is do what you love every day. There is no like alarm clock or all these things, all these measures that you think you know matter because they don't. What matters is just your happiness and what you love and who you love. So let's get there before we get anywhere else. And I feel like that's when the momentum starts to come. That's when the goals start to really come with ease uh but the mental breakdown part got to make sure you process all that stuff have a sounding board have somebody you can go to and let them know like here's what i'm going through does that sound right you know does this sound right as i start to approach a new you know new development a new growth or new learning experience because of that you know and i feel like that's where more people need to go uh mental breakdowns happen all the time there's nothing wrong with it you go through so much stuff in your life. You're bound to have, you know, some upset, emotional upset, um, several times in a year, <laughs> and hundreds and thousands. Yeah, I, mean, of times. I feel like I have one like one a month. Yeah, I to mean, be honest, a yeah, lot of people so. just put pressure on themselves. Yeah, and that's when you know the straw that broke the camel's back, and it might be just a, you know, not getting the coffee that you want when you go. <laughs> you know, it's something so small, but there was something growing behind it. And right. Then, Addressing that stuff and the other stressors and anxious moments is where it's just at. Just adds to the bucket until Absolutely. it just pours over, right? Really does. Yeah. Okay. We got that one. Affirmations. Ooh. That was the only thing sent in, just the word affirmations. I mean, we all always need affirmations. We can have a mantra or whatever you really want to you know, apply to your life, right? You're affirming a statement that you feel power behind or you want to improve in your life or you want to happen you know thoughts become things law of attraction that's all real stuff i really believe in you know you have more positive thoughts you're going to have a more positive life you have more negative thoughts you're going to have a more negative life and it's really simple and, and it's not complex and i think affirmations you should start to provide some for yourself writing things down you know getting your thoughts on paper because that is a distilled version of what you're really feeling and being able to see it on paper, you know, can help you process it, make it less real, make it more real. I mean, I always talk about real versus real, you know, the movie real, R-E-E-L versus R-E-A-L. You know, what's in your head? Is it real or is it real? You know, what are the things? Are we imagining these things? Are we making them bigger than they are? And from then, we can make sure that these affirmations stick to our lives. Like, right. I want to be more kind. They're so simple. I want to have... Um, I want to give, give people more. I want to, you know, apply myself more in college, apply myself more in, in games. And, you know, whatever you want to make your affirmation about, um, you can. And just make sure you believe in it wholeheartedly. I always talk about, you know, unshakable belief. And whatever you're writing down, whatever you're doing, have that unshakable belief. So when you can tell somebody about it, they just see it in your eyes. And affirmations start all of that. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Self sabotage. Oh. I am a. Who isn't? One of the worst, probably. <laughs> I can't tell you. I mean, I think we had this conversation like last week where, like, 
I wasn't taking care of myself. Things built up a little bit, so I wasn't doing like my mobility stuff or whatever. And I'm in my basement doing my lifts, and I'd stop, turn around, look myself in the mirror, and be like, "You're a fucking piece of shit." Like, you know what I mean? And like, those aren't things I shouldn't be doing. And the second I say it, I'm like, "Why?" I mean, that's the you easiest know? thing, right? Especially when it comes to, to lifting and training and stuff like that. It's definitely easier. All right, so to let's like, just take you know a max lift. How many times you know you're pulling that, you know, clean up, and you just start at your high pull, or you stop at your high pull. You, you got it high enough to get under it, but you're just like that self-limiting belief, which is fear. Fear can, can really do some destruction. I feel like that is a self-sabotage. It's more fear than anything else yeah. or vulnerability where it's just uh, uncomfortable for you. So you're just not going to continue or it's hard. And I mean, it's okay to say it's hard. Is it self-sabotage if you give up on something? Absolutely not. And that's okay. You can quit anything. Don't. I hate when people are like, you can't quit. You started. You got to finish. Like, no. If it's not right for you at any time in your life, you can absolutely quit or stop. You want to call it quit? Fine. If you want to call it, I stopped doing this because it didn't feel right? Absolutely. And I feel like people want to call it self-sabotage when they just wanted to stop doing something they didn't like. And everyone thought they should be doing it. And that's the stuff that I'm really passionate about when I'm trying to remove that from the from the life cycle of individuals because you can stop doing anything you want. It's not any shame on you or guilt or anything else. You know, fear is a liar. And and that is we just induce this added stress and this fear on things that don't even exist. You can remove them at any time. Right. All right. Keep it right. To the point on that. That one. was yeah, there's nothing. I was I was waiting for like something to give me a no, little bit more to keep going, but I don't want to. It's over. Yes. All right. Um, I'm gonna skip that one. Can negative self talk? This goes right off of this one. Can negative self talk have an impact on my training? Now, from experience, I've had multiple days, especially over the past couple of cycles, where I go in and I'm already in a bad mood. Warm up sucked. The warm up reps suck. And I mean, did we do this at Harvard? I think you might have had me do this at Harvard. It was either you or Jake, where it was like, think of the happiest thing you've ever done. Sure. Right? And try to push that arm down and you could resist it. And then think of the most negative thing that's ever happened to you that made you pissed off, sad, whatever it was, and try to do the same thing and apply the same, have someone apply the same pressure down and literally just down. It's just a very simple little test right there. I don't know if that's real or not, but oh. I think that there is, a, there's a very, Going into something confident, and, and obviously I'm not the professional, that's why Kevin's here. But well, I'm gonna go back to personal experience. What? Just for sure, going in being like, yeah. "This is this is mine today. I'm making this weight. I'm putting well, it in my pocket, counting for later." Thoughts like, become things. So if you think you're not gonna do it, you're absolutely not gonna do it. Right. In a million years, you're manifesting I mean, it. Right. I mean, yeah. we want to talk about manifestation, and that's where it comes from. It comes from your thoughts, and when you're you know, getting up in the morning, you know, what's your frame of mind? You know, what are you trying to do for the day? You're trying to be productive. You're trying to increase performance. You're trying to be, you know, whatever, whatever your mission is, whatever your vision is for the day. That's so important because that leads into everything else you do. Now you get into your warm up. You're not feeling so good. Maybe you have some tight shoulders, whatever you, well, take the ad, additional time to make sure you're doing your preparation, right? Hit that preparation phase. And preparation phase isn't just in weightlifting. It's going to work. It's, you know, having a conversation with your loved ones or your family or friends or going out. You're preparing yourself in a very positive mindset to have a good experience. Yeah. It doesn't have to be great, but it can be better than 
a negative one if you aren't in that preparation phase of whatever you do, even if it's for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And the longer the preparation phase, I was going to tell you, it means more to you. Right. And that's the stuff where like, we're always going to find out that self-discovery. I'm always going to push my clients into learn more about yourself because you don't learn enough. No one does because we're always running to something else instead of just sitting with what we have and being grateful and appreciative for where we are right now. Right. And that's going to help you in all those phases of just your daily life. Let's prepare. I got to, you know, call my mom. Don't really feel like it. So give me a minute or two just to, you know, think about all the positive stuff about my mom and how it's going to make her day when I call her. You know, I might not be in the mindset right now, but I'm going to make sure I get there so I can do the right thing. Right. Make that right decision. Have that right lift. You know, have that time to study for that test. You know, preparation phase. It goes in so many different places and no one does it enough. There we go. There you there you go. My wife is having a harder time in the pandemic than me. How can I help her through this? By understanding. Why is she having a harder time than me? And that's okay. We all have different experiences. Sometimes uh, certain circum- circumstances just don't hit you the right way or don't hit you the same way as somebody else. And that's just because there's a disconnect in that understanding and making sure that you're having a conversation to understand more. And now you can support better. And then it goes away really quickly because, you know, this is how he, she feels. And this is what I'm going to do to support it. It's not how I feel, but I know how she feels because she just identified why and the reasons why. So it goes back to those difficult conversations. You just want to be like, you know, kind of not make a big deal out of it. But at the same time, maybe she wants to make a big deal out of it. Maybe she wants you to kind of cross that bridge to be like, hey. You know, ask me why, you know, understand me a little bit better. And these are times for relationships to get better is spending so much time in home in the house, you know, with the people that you live with, with, that you care about and that you love and learning more about them and having these conversations. I mean, just look at the climate of the world and especially the United States. We don't talk enough. And that's why there's so much uncertainty and so much divisiveness. And it's because of. No one's crossing that bridge and meeting somebody on the other side to have that conversation and yep. to sit down with what you got. You got your experience. You got some knowledge. Well, no one else knows that until you speak it. Right. So have that power to have that, you know, responsibility. Take that responsibility. Right. And that doesn't go just for for your, your significant others, either family members, all that stuff. Oh, like yeah. have that conversation, you know. I know. I mean. My family's gone through that a lot, and it's just like, just talk. You know, like, I, I know I've said that multiple times. Now that you're saying it to me as a professional, I'm like, okay, at least I was, I was right by saying just have the conversation, you know? But, all right. What time, at what point does gaming and media, I'm assuming like social media, stuff like that, when does it become an addiction versus a hobby? I mean, I don't want to call too many things addictions. However, you know, look at where you're placing the most time. Is it, you know, to gaming and social media? Is it, and also identifying where time should go, right? That's the first step. Where is my time? You know, what am I getting out of it? Is it for money, for fun, for hobbies, for others? You know, identifying where your time and energy are going to and then seeing, you know, what 
is up, what's down, right. where it should be. Is it taking too much time? And other things are not getting enough and they should be. And that's some, somewhere where you need to start to alter um, your daily you know, activities and putting the right time and energy into places where it needs to go instead of the places where it doesn't. Right. And that's where you're going to find your answer. All right. How can you tell when you're making excuses versus actually suffering too badly to work out? Oh, I think that's, you already made, you already you have the answer by asking that question. You already know it's an excuse. I can just hear it in that conversation or in that question. I feel like a workout doesn't have to be a grueling, you know, intense, you know, kick your butt type of thing. It can be, you know, a little bit of yoga, a little stretching, a little lightweight activity, you know, running a mile, running a 400 meter, whatever. It's just getting that body moving, making sure that, you know, the blood flow's happening and you're experiencing a more productive, you know, few minutes than you would if you didn't. And I think that's, that's your answer. It's like, all right, I can do something though. I might be a little bit sore from the next day or from the uh, past workout previous day, but I can still do something. You know, let's do that. And then mistakes or um, excuses and all that other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. flutter that happens in your mind just goes away because you're already making a better decision and there's no mistakes could ever, you know. Happen. I'm going to chime in on this one too. The, what you're saying with the question, you could hear it, right? One thing I want to point out is to work out, right? Like it's very different, like, and correct me, you can call me out on this. Sure. Whoever asked this question, I didn't write those down because I figured these are very, these are kind of personal questions. I want to keep that secret to everybody so you know who you are and there's other people that want this. But you said work out. So to me, that means you're not going towards a competitive thing unless it's, I guess, CrossFit. Do CrossFit call it workouts? Do, do yeah, CrossFit I mean, call everybody workouts? calls it workouts. I okay. Because like for me, like training, right? Like sure. tr- there's a difference to me between like fitness, working out, training, and then winning like that. Those are all mindsets mm-hmm. to me, right? Like to me, training Jesus. is like, I'm going into the gym to go to battle so that when I go to war on that platform, I'm going to win. Yeah. But there is a very fine line of being like, am I in pain physically? Yeah. Am I in the different. right mindset that day? Which I mean, this whole episode is about mindsets. You know what I mean? And well, you know, like you gotta, you gotta look at that. Like anybody can kick your ass in a workout. Right. And like, like Kevin just said, like you can go in and be like, today I'm gassed. And if you're at a CrossFit gym, tell the person that. And if the person says too bad, get into it. You got to re- you gotta reassess yeah, that not the, gym. It's not the okay? coach you want. And <laughs> be like, okay, you feel like ass? We're going to do this. We're going to do these movements because these are going to help you with blood flow and recovery and all those things and get you into it. So that's the fitness coach, strength coach yep. opinion on the other half of it too, mixing in with the mental health specialist and also coach side of it as well. I don't know if I even answered the question at that point. I think you did. Okay, good. All right. I like to rant. I like it. So I try to, I try to let you handle most of it and I just kind of give the question and then if I rant, just give me a slap off side of the head. It doesn't mean anything. All right. He doesn't beat me guys. All right. I promise. Um, The effects of ADHD on weight training and vice versa. Actually, I'm interested on this question. Vice versa does, what are their effects if, you, if you've read or seen anything in experience with people that have like high levels of ADHD or whatever and training well, in general? I think for ADHD, it's you got to have a plan, right? You got to go into it with an established, this is what I'm doing and stick to it. And I feel like the focusness and um, attention starts to come through on that. Right. And then when you don't have a plan, things 
becoming consistent, right? Especially when you're dealing with ADHD. I feel like that's something where you got to nurture a bit. You got to find out what works for you. You got to make sure that you have some sort of structure in the places where you know give you the most trouble. And if it's working out, if it's fitness, all right, great. Now we got to make sure that we, you know, provide some sort of plan or protocol for you to stick to and, you know, commit to. I feel like it's really more of a commitment than anything else is saying, I'm going to stick to these eight exercises or these, you know, different domains of work and, you know, establish that over time and seeing if it works. All right. So I didn't hit eight, kind of jumped around a little bit. Let's shrink it down. Let's hit four, you know, and then improve from there or just seeing um, if that's what you need. And I, I mean, you're going to have these questions when you don't try to elicit some sort of different approaches to see what it works. But you got to make sure you're doing the work in the places where you see the problem. And right. I mean, I love these questions because people are seeing problems in their own lives or just not even problems, but little issues or hiccups where they want to um, extinguish. And I feel like that's such a huge um, component into in making a better life uh, in just small little periods of your day. So this next question, um, I asked the other one because I think that might have been like an easier bite to go off, but this flows right into it. Can people having clinical OCD and depression better themselves with weight training? Of course, you can better yourself in any part of your life with weight training. I feel like doing the things that you don't want to do or that challenge you are the places where you're going to expose more of yourself. Um, so dealing with those mental health conditions, I feel like the more you experience feeling that type of way, is the ability to really improve your quality of life. Um, when you're not feeling, when you're really not feeling your mental health illness or condition, um, or just feelings in general, mm -hmm. when you're trying to escape them or not do certain things because you don't know if they're going to get exposed, is where limits so many people from going beyond whatever they're feeling inside or whatever condition might they might you know um, have. So weight training. You know, any kind of fitness, especially, I mean, I call it exercise therapy. Everyone does exercise therapy that, you know, moves their body and sweats. And I feel like that's such an incredible component in daily life because I'm always trying to hit mind, body, and spirit. Got to make sure they're all being improved or sustained, not just one or two. Got to be all three. Um, so I feel like mind, body, and spirit happen within physical training, within right, exercise. Right. Uh, and, and conditioning and without that I mean I just I feel like people are not getting enough out of their day without you know 20 minutes of you know some sort of activity physical right. activity right and I think that um, and this brings back to what we were talking about earlier with getting into a place like with discussions and stuff like that where it might be uncomfortable like training the whole like when it comes to getting stronger, being a better athlete, doing those things. Like as a coach, our job is to put you in positions of being uncomfortable, whether it's in a certain weight range to grow strength or whether it's in a certain rep range and weight range to get hypertrophy and all these things. Like it's a level of discomfort because that discomfort creates growth, which you've said in 15 different ways. I'll and it's just, more. yeah, you know, like it's just, that's, what it does volume uncomfortable creates growth yep heavy ass squats it's a skill you're uncomfortable underneath a heavy bar guess what you're gonna have to start pushing some a little bit more weight to get a little bit more uncomfortable so when you pick up a rack and your whole body's shaking and the bar's moving up and down you're less uncomfortable underneath it and you're ready for it like these are all things that go into that and we talk about when we were in 
I mean, when we were at Harvard too, like a big thing that they were talking about with the internship program was we need to push you guys because a lot of you don't understand what the mental and physical stress that these athletes go through on a daily basis. So they would, I mean, I remember Mullen being like, what's, what, what's a med ball for? As you're like running a 300 in under a minute, so you have to focus on pace and answering the question. Remember the math thing we did? We were doing the handstands and they were like, finish this like grade school multiplication thing. What? You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's such a like weird uncomfortableness, but it was a learning experience, you know, like that. Oh, well, I mean, for anybody that's going like, through difficult, challenging moments, I mean, you can put someone in those moments so much quicker under duress in yeah. a physical environment. And when you're understanding what you're feeling in those moments, when a barbell's not on your back, when you're walking through, you know, your daily life and feeling those things, it's easier for you to um, combat a little bit in different ways. I mean, so many coping skills can be applied, so many places where you can, you know, begin to generate new thought or change your thought and approach to, you know, what you're feeling. But that's why I always love physical fitness because it gets you there really quickly. And there's no awful moment on the other side. It's just like, here's what you're feeling. It's hard. It hurts. Yeah. I don't want to do it anymore. Well, you just finished it. You pat yourself on the back and then increase that resiliency model within yourself and then right. you're able to deal with more you know, down the road. All right, last question. The effects of video games on the ability of someone to focus. And there's also another question I have with this that kind of goes into this. And I couldn't find the paper that they did it, but they were doing research with um, like modern day, I think they were using modern warfare, but like a VR set mm -hmm. to help with PTSD and stuff like that. So like helping cope with, you know, just all these different things that people are going through. But let's go with the well, ability mean, of games to help somebody with focus or the effect on people's focus. Well, I mean, focus always comes from being present, right? So when we want to make sure that we're present in whatever we're doing because that's going to increase focus. It's going to increase attentiveness. It's going to increase your will to accomplish whatever's in front of you. Right. Um, so being present is first and foremost, really being in whatever you're doing, understanding, you know, why you're doing it, who's around, you know, how it got, how it has to go, eliminating a lot of the questions and uncertainty with, you know, what's happening in front of you and knowing that stuff. I feel like that's really going to increase your focus, video games, where you can do it the most. You put those headphones on, you have that microphone, uh, you have that control in your hands. That's when you really start to feel yeah. control. Um, whatever else you need to do to get you there um, can help too, but just headset controller you feel control you understand what you have to do it's very simple um and i feel like that's when you can really provide yourself that routine of being focused and knowing what you need to move forward in other aspects of your life so i love gaming for that all right well this is your time man plug yourself plug everything plug oh nothing to plug, plug. this is just who i am what i do and i love being here and 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 making sure that I'm getting better so I can support others and, and give them whatever I got. Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram, direct message me, uh, and we'll go from there. Okay. Name on Instagram? Foley underscore KM. All right. I'm going to make sure that when this is the YouTube video, I'm going to make sure I'm going to put that underneath. All right. If you're listening on Spotify or wherever else you guys are listening to this, thank you guys as always, Kevin. Appreciate Pleasure. it. Pleasure. He will be back. Some of you guys presented in some other things, but those can be a complete conversation in themselves. So we're going to make sure we do that. All right. Be healthy, stay healthy, keep uplifting each other, and we will see you guys next time.